Welcome to Healthy and Happy, a program sponsored by the East Jamaica Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and aired right here on NCUFM. Yes, it is your education and wellness station, and we have so much in store for you this week, so I invite you to stay tuned. I'm your host, Adis Jonas Murphy. Rejoice in this Thank you so very much for staying with us right here on Healthy and Happy. It is a beautiful day, a wonderful day to be alive. But not only that, I am super blessed. I'm doubly blessed because I have in studio with me a good friend of mine. She is Dr. Nastasia Tate. If you were listening to the program some weeks ago, you would have heard Dr. Tate on talking about a very, very important topic. Do you remember what it was, Dr. Tate? I do, I do. It was endometriosis, right? Endometriosis, yes. there we go. And so Dr. Tate is rejoining us this evening to talk about an issue that affects many women. As a matter of fact, you know, many black women present with this issue. We're talking about uterine fibroids. Does it sound familiar, ladies? Yeah, you know, um, fibroids. Many black women struggle with it. We're going to be talking a little bit about its definition, its causes. Are there causes? Do these things just pop up out of nowhere? We're going to be talking diagnosis, symptoms, and of course, definitely treatment. Now, just before we head into the interview, I've done some reading and I found some very interesting facts that I would love to share. And we can explore them throughout the program, Dr. Tate. Number one. Did you know that uterine fibroids are super common? Yes, yes, yes. So one study found that between 70 to 80% of all women will get them by the age of 50. Now, that is very, very... (laughs) That's very common. It's the majority of women, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Should I look forward to fibroids? Not looking forward to that at all. Interesting fact number two. Did you know, ladies, that fibroids are not... Cancer. They are benign, which means they are non-cancerous tumors, but uterine fibroids can have similar symptoms to a rare form of cancer called uterine sarcoma, and, and probably we can touch on that a little bit, Doc. And thirdly, uh, I'm seeing here many women have no symptoms and require no treatment. That one absolutely blows <laughs> my mind. Uh, let me just get your comments on these, these three interesting facts, Doc. One, uterine fibroids are super common. Two, fibroids aren't cancer. And three, many women have no symptoms and require no treatment. Your thoughts? Yeah, those are actually um, very factual. Fibroids are extremely common, especially with the black ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Is it said that, you know, one in 10 black women will have fibroids? So in a room of, you know, 30 people, easily three persons at minimum will likely to have fibroids. Interestingly enough, not everyone who has fibroids will have symptoms. Mm. The symptoms that you have is dependent a lot on where they're located and on the size of the fibroids. And sometimes they're just there, you know, chilling. And if they're there not bothering you oftentimes we just leave it be or we really don't even know unless you do a scan for a different reason Mm. or when you're pregnant Mm. you know we notice that oh there's a fibroid there but you never ever had symptoms of it uh they're definitely not cancerous there is a one percent less than a one percent risk of it transforming into a cancer Mm. but very commonly um 
I know you made a comparison to uterine fibroids and uterine sarcomas. Yeah. Now, similar, there are cancers that originate from the womb versus non-cancer, the uterine fibroids that originate from the womb. In terms of symptoms, sometimes the symptoms overlap, mm -hmm. but um, oftentimes there are different characteristics that will clue us into a sarcoma, that's a cancerous version, mm -hmm. versus a uterine fibroid, such as the rapid growth of mm -hmm. um, the fibroid, you know, of the sarcoma. And commonly you'd see uterine sarcomas in people who are postmenopausal who are, who are going through that menopausal transition when you would expect your uterine fibroids to be shrinking mm -hmm. and the symptoms to be decreasing. So, you know, those are common things that you can use to differentiate it mm -hmm. and um, for uterine fibroids from uterine sarcomas. So. Let's define fibroids. So many persons think they know what a fibroid is. In layman terms, it's a growth or it's a mass or a tumor that originates from the womb. So commonly from the muscle of the womb. So you have two layers to the womb. You have the endometrial layer, you have the muscular layer or the myometrium, and you have the coating of the womb, the serosa. And it's really just tumors that originate from either the muscular layer and it can be pushing into the endometrial. That means it's pushing into the cavity mm -hmm. or it's more on the outside coating of the womb. So that's what uterine fibroids are. They originate from from the muscle of the womb and these are mass and tumors of varying size of varying symptoms of varying locations mm -hmm. what are the causes though i mean does diet have any part to play with uterine fibroids is it hereditary so the exact cause of uterine fibroids is unknown. What we do realize, though, is that there may be a hereditary or a genetic um, predisposition. So if your mom and your siblings have fibroids, then it wouldn't be uncommon for you to have fibroids as well. So that's really the only thing that we have pinpointed as a positive influence or a positive um, correlation to the development of fibroids. Yes, there are lots of talk about your diet and, you know, eating a lot of meat or yeah. having food with high hormones and stuff like that. But the studies really haven't shown a significant positive correlation. Mm -hmm. And similarly, when we talk about the treatment of fibroids, people often will say, oh, they're going to stop eating meat or, oh, they're right. going to, um, you know, hold off on the you know, hormonal stuff and they expect the fibroids to shrink. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes that's not really what we find if you do one versus the other. Let's look at some of the signs and symptoms of fibroids. First of all, as we had mentioned before, fibroids can be asymptomatic, meaning you have it there and you do not know, you have mm -hmm. no symptoms. But in terms of things that people commonly present with or um, commonly complain of, one is abnormal uterine bleeding. Mm -hmm. So you may notice that your periods are heavier than usual. You may notice that your periods last longer. So you're using more sanitary napkins or you're having bleeding for more days than you know the typical five to seven days or you're having bleeding outside of a typical cycle, mm -hmm. you know, so this heavy, abnormal, erratic bleeding oftentimes is what get people in the office, in the hospital saying, doctor, something is wrong, you need to check me out. Mm -hmm. People also notice increase in their abdominal girth. So depending on where the fibroids are located, if they go to significant size, then you notice that your tummy is getting higher and higher, bigger and bigger. So your skirt can button or you feel like you have a 12-month pregnancy in front of you because mm -hmm. they can go to extremely large sizes. Mm -hmm. People also complain of 
things like constipation or increased bladder frequency and it really just goes to where the fibroids are located if it's pushing out to the back mm -hmm. of the uterus then it's compressing the bowels or the intestines so as a result you're going to have constipation mm -hmm. if it's pushing out to the front then it's irritating the bladder so you know you can't the bladder really can't hold as much urine as it usually would mm -hmm. and you have you know increased urination and stuff like that and irritable um, bladder type of picture also if it's hanging at the back you can have painful sexual intercourse so those are the common things that people would oftentimes present with if it's big enough and it's pushing up on the diaphragm then people oftentimes will complain of shortness of breath so you know you're just walking from you're normally able to walk the staircase and you're comfortable and you're fine but you find that on the minimal exertion you're very breathless, breathless and you're tired you can also have swelling of the feet like bilateral ankle swelling depending on how massive the fibroids are so really and truly the symptoms you know they get to where they are and the size that will determine the type of symptoms that you have less commonly but can happen people will complain of miscarriages like occurring miscarriages mm -hmm. so for instance if it is that you have fibroids like small fibroids in the cavity that mm -hmm. are pushing out in the cavity when it's time for implantation the there's nowhere for the you know the baby to be implanted so you end up with a miscarriage you mm -hmm. know so sometimes people do complain of occurring miscarriages and when you do all the investigation we find that these fibroids in the cavity may be contributory to that so you know those are the things that people would complain of that we often see in the office. So. Is there a connection between fibroids and infertility or so pregnancy? Let me put it that way. Yes, it can. However, this is a very infrequent um, presentation. So if it is that the fibroid are, you know, is blocking the tubes, then the sperm can get up in the tube and the uh, egg won't be able to meet the sperm in the tube for fertilization to occur. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, it has to be very specific by blocking the opening of the tube. So it's more likely to cause miscarriages and all the other stuff than infertility. But yes, if the fibroids technically, if, the, if it's blocking the opening of the tube, then, you know, theoretically you're preventing the egg and the sperm from meeting and hence infertility. All right. So let's talk diagnosis. Though. Somebody comes to your office, they're complaining of certain signs and symptoms. You know, um, I, le let me see if I have it right. Last time you were here, you used a phrase, clinical diagnosis. Clinical diagnosis, <laughs> yes. I feel like a doctor. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're a good student. <laughs> like, you must have done extremely well in school. You should have I, done the sciences no, at least. I shouldn't. <laughs> I really shouldn't. Like, I tell you, no, <laughs> listeners, just segueing for just a minute, though. Um, grade 9 chemistry, mm -hmm. grade 9 bio, and grade 9 physics proved that I should not, not to do the like sciences. Yeah, man, yeah, it's horrible, horrible grades. Oh, boy. <laughs> but going back to it, though, I mean, <laughs> I, I would imagine that clinically, uh, you would be able to make a diagnosis, and, and that is uh, by way of taking uh, information from the individual, so questioning, you know, about history, about uh, lifestyle, and, mm. and so on, to make an informed decision. Is that what it's limited to? No. So from the history and from your interaction, the examination with the patient, you can have a clinical suspicion mm -hmm. that it is fibroids based on the size, based on the symptoms, based on your clinical examination. So you can have a suspicion, but to know definitively, we have to do an ultrasound which is a specialized test that looks at the pelvic organs and from the ultrasounds you will see the characteristics um, size and shape and formation of fibroids mm -hmm. and then you can make the definitive diagnosis so you have to do an ultrasound if for instance and that's like baseline you know routine mm -hmm. 
first line type of investigation. If by chance you had to do a CT or MRI for some other reason, then it can be picked up. But there's really no need to be doing a CT or MRI if all you're looking for is fibroids because, you know, the ultrasound is able to pick it up very, very clearly mm. and it's much, you know, it's cheap already, they're available, stuff like that. So a basic pelvic ultrasound, mm-hmm. which can either be a transabdominal with where they put the probe on the tummy or a transvaginal where the probe is inserted in the vagina should be able to diagnose definitively uterine fibroids. I'm learning so much right here on Healthy and Happy and I hope you are too. I want to remind you that you're locked into NCUFM. It's your education and wellness station. Frequencies 91.1, 91.3 and 91.5 only on your FM dial. I'm having a discussion with Dr. Nastasia Tate. We're talking about uterine fibroids. You know, that thing that many Jamaican women really um, you know, some of us just find it really uh, annoying, that's the word, <laughs> because for some of us, it can be a very uncomfortable and even painful, perhaps, experience. Right, so we talked about the definition. We talked about whether or not there are causes. We spoke about diagnosis. We spoke about symptoms and signs of uterine fibroids. Well, you know, doc, there are many persons who believe that if they avoid certain foods, as you said earlier, then the fibroids will go away. Perhaps, you know... I am going to just list a theoretical figure. Let us say Grandma X. <laughs> Grandma X believes if she just go back to her natural way of living, eliminate sugar, eliminate um, high you know, fructose corn syrup, white bread, pasta, all of these things, then she will be able to shrink her fibroids on her own. Are there medical evidences to support this? Have you seen case studies where individuals have said, Doc, I have changed my diet and my fibroids are less or have shrunken? Right. So it definitely is a very common theory in the general population that your dietary changes can cause the fibroids to shrink. Um, Have I seen that uh, often in my office. Mm-hmm. No, a matter of fact, <laughs> I had a patient uh, probably earlier this year that had fibroids that were symptomatic and I had recommended surgery for her, right? Mm-hmm. No, she was very much against surgery. You know, people have different you know, theories and conception about, oh, I don't want to do surgery for whatever reason. So she told me she's going to go on a, you know, a diet. She's going to start taking her dog head blood her what? Yeah, it was. I was. Con- it was the first time I was hearing about it. I don't even know if I'm saying the things correctly, right. but I know it had dog, it had head, and it had blood. So some combination, right? And actually, it's a leaf. It's not really from the oh, head of a dog and I'm, the blood. I'm saying, which is what really I thought. Blood, the blood from the head of a dog. No, no, no. It's a it's a leaf. It's a plant. It's something. But it was the first time I was hearing about it, and I mean, a lot of things come across my decks. But mm. I was blown. I was like, huh? But right. So she was going to do that for her three months and then she was going to repeat her ultrasound and if it is that the fibroids were the same or they're mm. bigger then she would um you know do the surgery if it is that her fibroids shrink then she wouldn't so i was like okay fine no problem mm. um not my recommendation but you know of course you have autonomy so that's what you want to do we went through the pros and cons went through my concerns and she went on her merry way to do her dog head blood not surprisingly she came back a couple months later with her repeat ultrasound and the fibroid grew Right mm. now, I'm pretty sure that there are persons out there that would have similar stories of, uh, or the opposite story, really, of trying some natural remedy and mm. 
saw that the fiber drank or the symptoms improve. But the truth is that the science, the facts, you know, all the data really doesn't suggest that these um, herbal or um, changes in your lifestyle really and truly affects the size or symptoms of your fibroid. That being said, changing your lifestyle, you know, living a healthier life, exercising can only improve your general health and right. well-being. So it's not something that I will tell patients not to do mm-hmm. if it is that you want to, you know, cut off on a chicken and you want to cut off on a red meat and stuff like that. All of those things really and truly will only make you a healthier, happier person. Mm-hmm. But in terms of using that as a definitive treatment or a mainstay treatment for your fibroids, it's not something that I would readily recommend. Mm. Let's look at race and fibroids. Is there mm-hmm. one race that's more prone to it than another? Oh, for sure. So when we compare like the black ethnicity to Latinos to Caucasians, mm-hmm. then blacks do have a higher risk of fibroids mm-hmm. when you compare them to their Caucasian counterparts. So that has been studied and proven. Why? Not sure, but you know that's what the numbers show. Man, it comes with being black. Boy, we understand. Black and a woman. I don't know what else. (laughs) A black woman. Mm -mm -mm. So we've talked about many things, but one of the things I'm very interested in discussing is uh, treatment. Treatment. How do we treat? this thing called uterine fibroid so you're saying that um if we cut off certain foods you have not seen where that has had a significant impact although it could improve the general quality of life one's one's quality of life but um how do we go about treating this diagnosed issue or problem so treatment has to be individualized so it depends on where the fibroids are located and the symptoms that the patients um is having. So if your fibroids are asymptomatic, they're very small, they're not causing any issues clinically, biochemically, um, then uh, really and truly we can leave it be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if it is that your symptoms are predominantly pain symptoms, mm-hmm. then we can always employ the use of painkillers or analgesia. If it is that your symptoms are more because of the bleeding, like heavy bleeding, abnormal bleeding, or a mass in terms of mass effects. So all the stuff we spoke about, like the constipation, the urinary symptoms, the shortness of breath, um, the pedal edema, the swelling up the ankles, those are what we call Sorry, mass. Sorry, call that one? Yeah, so pedal edema, that. that's the medical, t- oh yes, <laughs> as this <laughs> is science 101 <laughs> for Adis. So pedal edema would be the swelling of the ankle, yeah. but in layman terms, just, you know, the ankles are swollen, right? Swollen. Mm-hmm. So those are all what we call mass or compressive symptoms, and it's usually due to the size of the fibroid. So if it is that we're trying to shrink the fibroid, then one, we can use medication to do that, hormonal medication to do that. Mm-hmm. However, there are limitations with that, or we can offer surgical intervention. So backing up a bit, Mm -hmm. if it's just bleeding, then we can always employ hormonal as first-line therapy, and that varies. It could be the injections, so your Depo-Provera injections that you can take every three months or every monthly, depending on which one gives you a better control of your symptoms. Mm -hmm. It could be um, your OCPs, so you're really over-the-counter, your oral contraceptive pills or your Mm -hmm. prescribed OCPs, that could be used as well. Um, there is some medication, hormonal, like leucine, that basically suppresses the hormonal axis from the brain coming down. Mm. And that too can be used to control your bleeding symptoms and also to control shrinking mm. of the fibroid. Now, earlier I alluded that that has some limitations, meaning because it's suppressing your hormonal axis from the brain, mm. you really should not use it beyond six months. 
That's what I was going to ask because right. there are mostly side effects. To, to sure. So if you use it beyond six months, you will go into menopause. Right. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. So essentially puts you in a state that would have normally happened when you're 50, 52 years old because you're basically shutting down the hormonal access. We do know that fibroids are hormonally responsive um, tumors. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, when you're pregnant, your fibroids can get bigger. Than, um, than your pre-pregnancy state. Sometimes they shrink, but oftentimes they can get bigger. So anything that, you know, where you have your hormonal fluctuations, you mm. can find that your, um, your fibroids grow. So if you're shutting it down from the brain, you're shutting down the hormonal axis of the, you know, that would feed the fibroids in quotation. Mm-hmm. So that can cause it to shrink. But because you can only use it for six months, mm-hmm. after the six months, it's going to come back. So oftentimes we will use the Lucrine or the ones that shut down the hormonal axis if it is that the fibroids are massive and we're planning surgery soon within that six months period. So we're shrinking it so we can then offer surgical intervention, which will make the surgery um, has less, you know, less complication because the mass itself is smaller. Mm-hmm. Or if we're just bridging somebody into a menopausal transition. So we know you're going into menopause in a couple of months, a year or two, and you don't want surgical intervention, we can try using the hormonal option to bridge you until you're in menopause when we expect the fibroids to be shrinking and the symptoms to be subsiding in general uh, mm. at that time. Then you have surgical interventions. So mm. that includes a myomectomy where we actually remove the fibroid itself and leave the uterus behind. And this is oftentimes used for patients who want to have you know, more kids. Mm. So you still have use for your um, your uterus and you have you want to have two more kids three more kids you just want to move the fibroids mm-hmm. pros and cons pros your uterus is left behind your mm-hmm. fertility is likely intact cons the fibroids can go back so whatever would have caused it to go in the first place likely still exists so the fibroids can go back when and how they'll go back we don't know so that's always something to consider when we're doing a myomectomy. And then you have a hysterectomy where you remove the, the womb. Mm. So you remove the muscle of the, the, um, the, the uterus, hence the fibroids can't come back because you remove the source mm. of the fibroids. So you remove the uterus in its entirety. Now, there are other options that exist that are not currently in Jamaica. So like uterine artery embolization, and that is when you put beads in the vessel that would supply the uh, the fibroid mm-hmm. and basically shut down the blood supply to the fibroids hence it will go right. so there are other things that can be you know done outside in first world countries but in terms of options in Jamaica mm-hmm. it's analgesia so painkillers if your symptoms are um, pain related if your symptoms are likely due to if your symptoms are abnormal bleeding then you can have your hormonal options mm-hmm. and then your surgical options mm-hmm. Learning so much from Dr. Nastasia Tate right here on Healthy and Happy. We should make her one of our medical correspondents, you know. Um, Do you have those medical correspondents? <laughs> Could be a thing. Uh, I like it. I think so. <laughs> so, Doc, you're an OBGYN, so many persons would like to come into your practice for treatment options, perhaps. Um, could you remind us of your locations? So, I'm currently located at the Donobin Medical Center. That is shop. 424 Donobin Avenue, also Edgewater Medical Center in Portmore. That's at 3 Debbie Avenue, Greater Portmore, I believe, mm-hmm. and Waterfront Medical Center. So that's Ocean Boulevard. 
All right. Thank you so very much. You heard it there from Dr. Nastasia Tate. Yes, right here on Healthy and Happy. We're talking about uterine fibroids. Wow, so many things I learned this evening, you know, especially the treatment part. It, it blew my mind quite a bit. Not to mention the dog head leaf. Uh, <laughs> dog head blood, I think. <laughs> the, right. The dog head <laughs> blood thing that absolutely blew my mind. Doc, thank you so very much for sharing with us here on Healthy and Happy. It is my pleasure. No problem at all. And we hope to have you back very very soon thank you so very much listeners for keeping it locked to ncufm your education and wellness station it is healthy and happy join us same time next week you may be in a different place where we do it all over again want to thank my technical team elder errol vaz always for your counsel and of course your support thank you so very much on behalf of our entire production team i'm Adis jonas murphy wishing you god's richest blessings his divine power has given us Everything, everything we need His divine power has given us Everything, oh everything we need For life and godliness Through our knowledge of Him who called us By His own glory and goodness He has given everything for life and godliness Through our knowledge of Him who called us By His own glory and goodness His divine power has given us everything Everything we need His divine power has given us Everything Everything we need For life and godliness Through our knowledge of Him who called us By His own glory and goodness He has given of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything, everything we need. His divine power has given us everything. Everything we need His divine power has given us Everything Everything we need His divine power has given us us.